0: it seemed fitting to me that we should end the year singing the praises of our God. And our series in the Psalms has been a series of God's salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we've also had the subtitle, Faith in Times of Trouble. And I want to Basically, used today to encourage you, as we conclude this year especially, we're going to conclude it singing God's praises. There comes a time for all kinds of different things, as Ecclesiastes tells us, and I think if we have nothing else to do at the end of this year, we can sing God's praises. This year has been an interesting year. I hope that in all these times of trouble, in all this turmoil that we have seen, I hope that through the word, with the help of the spirit, this morning at the very least, and really every morning, I hope you can be enraptured in the praise of God. I want to just remind us that we are here as in we exist for the worship of God. We exist to lift up praises to the one true God. We exist to reflect his perfection, his glory, his goodness on this earth, to celebrate these things and to tell of these things. In Psalm 98, we see this so well. Psalm 98 is found within a block of psalms which are royal psalms and a lot of them are just uh, psalms about singing, singing new songs, singing praises to God. And this one is so fitting because it is a sort of a, as one writer said, a a swelling expansion of worship, swelling expansion of worship. We'll go ahead and read it together and I want you to kind of see that swelling expansion happen. Psalm 98, simply at the beginning, says a psalm. Hear the word of the Lord. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's pray once more. Father, we do need your help this morning. Form my words for your purposes. Turn our ears to hear the good news of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The title this morning is All Creations Praise. All Creations Praise. And again, I hope that we can uh, simply conclude this year, 2020, by... All the events making us sing louder, preach bolder, worship more joyfully because of the God we serve. The theme today God deserves the worship of every voice, every instrument, every sound of His created order. God deserves the worship of every voice, every instrument, every sound of his created order. And as I've described this swelling expansion of worship, I want to turn it into a performance, okay? A three-part performance, if you will, from this text. And before we get there, I want to remind you, we don't gather together to be entertained, right? We've heard it said before, well, when the church gathers, the church is not the audience for the preacher or the musicians or the instrumentalists, whatever, the the vocalists, you are not the audience. You are the performers. God is the audience. So when the people of God gather, they are singing praises to his name that may be lifted up, as the Bible says, like a sweet aroma to him, that he hears our praise through the work of Jesus, and He receives that. Now it sounds really wonderful. Jump back down to real life. Sometimes we get it backwards, and we think that we are here to be entertained or to be pleased. I'll never forget what uh, I'll never forget what Francis Francis Chan said to a church member who came to him after the service. Some of you have heard this before came to him after the service, and he was like, you know, I didn't really like that song we sang today. And he said, well, that's okay, because we weren't singing to you. He had the right perspective. When we sing songs together, church, we are singing to the Lord. We're singing to him. He receives our praise. So I want to give you this three-part performance uh, I'm going to be using musical terms, so those of you who know some about music, just bear with me. I'm probably going to misuse them and butcher them here, but that's okay. I know you'll, I know you'll forgive me. Three-part performance from this first section. If, if you see in uh, Psalm 98, it's, it's broken down into three sections pretty clearly. This first part, first part of the per- performance, the pitch of God's people. The pitch of God's people. Just heard the heat kick on. Hopefully it's working well. I know you're freezing. I'm freezing. I've been trying to warm up up here. Uh, We're having heat problems today. First part. Oh, it just went off. (laughs) The pitch of God's people. I won't mention it again. Uh, The pitch of God's people. Notice these first few verses, one through three. The people are tuned in, if you will, to salvation. Sing the Lord a new song. David has said that to us before in the Psalms, right? Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. I'll note right here, there are striking similarities. This is just a side note here. Striking similarities between this psalm and Mary's psalm upon the good news of Jesus. Striking similarities. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Listen to what he says. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known His salvation, revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. You see, the focus of the salvation right here is to the people of Israel, the house of Israel, those who were the uh, covenant people of God. Yet, it's not—it's not that God is is knowing them and blessing them and of sustaining them in a vacuum. All of this is being viewed by the nations. So when they experience victory, it is told far and wide what the God of Israel did for his people. But notice they are tuned in to salvation. I hope we can understand we ought to be tuned in to salvation in these three ways. First of all, we're tuned in in regard to the Savior, he says, his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. When you're reading in the Bible and you read right hand, think power. And even more specific than that, if we're talking about the right hand of God, do you know who's seated at the right hand of God right now? Jesus. Jesus. So when we read God's right hand, we are talking about Jesus Christ. He is the one who has effected salvation. He has worked salvation for God. For the past couple of years, I've been dealing with some kind of tendinitis or something in my right elbow. It started off like tennis elbow, and then it sort of moved up inside the joint. You know, every time I turn my arm just the right way, I'm reminded of how weak I am. I'm reminded of my frailty. I experienced that pain and I realized there is limited stuff that I can do. I go to pick up my littlest child sometimes and my arm in that right position. It's just like and I can't do it. Can't even pick up my kid the right way. I'm reminded of that weakness. But When we talk about the right arm of the Lord, the right hand of the Lord that has worked salvation, we're talking about Jesus who is All powerful. Nothing is too difficult for him. And I would add, nothing, no one is too lost for him. You know, some of you believers are regularly struggling. I I sympathize with you. I identify with you in this. You regularly struggle with your own sinfulness and wonder, how could God love me? How could God save me with the wretch that I am? But the truth is, you are never beyond his reach. Everywhere sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You know, people in scripture learned this lesson very clearly. You may recall Genesis 18 when Abraham and Sarah were together and the Lord visited them, and the Lord said to Abraham, Your wife is going to bear a child. She's pregnant and she's in the other room and she laughs. She laughs inside herself, okay? Not audible. And then God says, why did she laugh? And at that moment, Sarah realized something about God that he knew more than just what he could hear with ears, if you will. He knew more than what was just going on on the outside. He knew what was going on on the inside. We call this progressive revelation. She was learning more about God as he revealed himself. But Sarah laughed, and God responds and says, why did she laugh? Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? You may recall the disciples in Matthew 8. They're on the boat and he stands, Jesus stands up and he commands the wind and the waves to obey him. And they look at him and they say, Who is this man that controls the wind and waves? Who is he that the wind and the waves obey him? It's this powerful Jesus. You keep going, Matthew 19. Another way that he has revealed his power. You remember the rich young man who walked away with his head down, disappointed in what Jesus had to offer him. And the disciples, they turn to Jesus and they say, well, then who can be saved? Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. See, we are in tune to salvation regarding the Savior. We know him. We learn about him. We are shaped into his likeness as we submit ourselves to his revealed word. We're tuned to salvation in this way, but also not just the Savior, but the saving. Verse 2 says, The Lord has made known His salvation. He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. So the question about God's relationship with man is how could a holy God have fellowship with a sinful creature, rebellious mankind? How could God relate to sinners because? He is holy, and he can't stand anything that is less than holy. How can God relate to us? Well, it happens in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how has the Lord made known his salvation? How has he revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations? It's through the gospel event of Jesus. So Jesus comes, Jesus heads to the cross... Jesus is nailed to the cross. God is punishing sin for all that it is, the offense that it is against him. And at the same time, he is saving sinners. So he reveals his salvation and at the same time reveals his righteous standard. There's no other way that this could have happened. And we gather week after week to explore the beauty of that truth. In the gospel, God is both righteous and loving. In the gospel, God is just and at the same time, the justifier. This message is foolishness to the world, foolishness. But God's people are in tune to salvation in these ways. The Savior, the saving, and then the saved. That assurance, that knowledge that we have received his salvation. It says he has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. The house of Israel being the covenant people. Steadfast love and faithfulness. These are covenant words that God has made a promise. And he kept the promise. God's word has stood the test of time, and now we look back, we read these psalms, we read the accounts of Scripture, and we rejoice because these promises are ultimately found fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That's why Paul would write to the Corinthians, all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. We or secure in him. He has kept his promises to us in his son, Jesus. His salvation has come to us. There's a lot of reasons right here. We're kind of glossing over them, honestly. A lot of reasons to praise. But then you see that reminder that the nations are looking upon the salvation of God's people. They're outsiders viewing God's preservation, God's salvation of his people. Keep that in mind. Because the second part, as we move into verse 4, we have the first part is the pitch of God's people. The second part is the melody of God's mission. The melody of God's mission. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King the Lord. The melody of God's mission. I hope you notice in those verses how now the praise of God is directed to all the earth. It's almost as if there's an invitation of the nations who are previously looking on to the people of God, praising God. They were previously looking on, and the invitation is to join in to believe, to be saved, to be a part of this wonderful, joyous song that is rising up from the saved. You see all the words here over and over again. It's like this exuberant, expressive, almost spontaneous type of praise. You can get the excitement of the psalmist here and just wanting everybody to join in singing together the praises of God. You may recall, I don't know how many years ago, it became a thing to do what's called a a flash mob. You know, people would secretly plan a song or a dance. A bunch of people would plan this. I don't even know how it's done because I've never been a part of one. Um, They plan it behind the scenes and then they all go to a public place and it seems like normal life is happening. They're just going about their business, being social, shopping or whatever. It's a mall, I don't know, whatever you want it to be. A public place. And then there's a queue that all the people who are part of this know. And when that queue happens, they all get into their places and they begin their dance or they begin their song. And so what seems totally random and unprepared is actually very prepared. And it pops up and when it's over, they just go back to their normal stuff. What we see right here is actually the spontaneous work of God in saving people and causing them to be worshipers of him. Except this is truly unplanned by human beings. It's the spirit of God who revives the heart, regenerates the heart, and then orchestrates the song of the saints across the globe to the glory of God. We're dependent on the Spirit to organize this melody from among the nations. This goes beyond our musical expression on Sunday morning. I want to be very clear. You know, some people think, um, you know, I don't really have a good voice, so I don't sing loudly when I'm among the saints. I would assume that if you're unwilling to sing among the saints, no matter how bad your voice is, you're probably not willing to sing the praises of God among the nations. We ought to come together and we ought to let loose the praises of God. We ought to encourage one another in this way so that when we go out into the world, we can continue that melody that he has us singing as we share the wondrously good news of the gospel. This goes beyond singing notes in a song on Sunday morning. We are joining in with God on the mission of God to bring glory to his own name. So how does he invite us in? I would say the supreme way is through the Great Commission. Mark's Great Commission says it this way, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Take my praises everywhere. John Piper once said, well, missions exist because worship doesn't. We go far and wide to every corner that we can, every neighbor. We want to share the good news of Christ with because God deserves their worship. There is really one reason Look in these verses. If you just search it, it it describes all the, the outbreak of song and trumpets and horn and joyful noise. We often use that to describe those people who can't sing well, right? Just make a joyful noise. There's really no reason in these few verses for the nations to sing to God except for one. He only gives really one, and it's, it's indirect. It's at the very end of verse 6. Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. So there's one reason. I think the psalmist is thinking in his mind, there are plenty of other reasons, but there's one main reason right here, above all, that the nations ought to sing to God. It's because Jesus is king. So we don't go to the nations thinking, oh, these poor people These poor folks that don't know about Jesus and they're going to spend an eternity in hell. Yeah, that's a good motivation, but it is not the supreme motivation. Our supreme motivation is that God deserves their praise because of who he is. So we don't tell them, hey, come to him because he's done this. Come to him because of these apparent blessings. Come to him because he's earned your praise. No, he deserves praise because of who he is He is the king. He is the sovereign ruler. He is the alpha and omega, the creator of all things. He upholds all things by the word of his power. So we go to the nations. It's not, hey, come to Jesus, look what we can do for you. It's come to Jesus because he deserves, not only that, demands your worship. We need to note here that Jesus is not just the Lord for Christians. It's really a misnomer when we say things like make Jesus your Lord and Savior. He already is Lord. He already is the Savior. Would you submit yourself to him is the question. He is the Lord of all. He's not just a king. Of his own little kingdom over here, among many kingdoms, he is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. And as such, he deserves the worship of all people. So see, there's a second part here that is the melody of God's mission. First part, the pitch of God's people, singing in tune with salvation. The second part, the melody of God's mission, bringing in worshipers from everywhere. And then the third part, the chorus of God's creation. The chorus of God's creation. Very briefly, we see in these few verses, seven, eight, nine, we see creation sort of personified. The sea roar, the rivers clap their hands, the hills sing for joy together. And the writer obviously is looking forward to a day when things are set right, sort of speaking on behalf of creation. We've talked about even recently how creation groans, looking forward to the redemption the sons of God, sons and daughters of God. The writer here is looking toward that day when everything is made right and everything is reunited in subjection to Jesus and we see that subjection displayed in creation. Boyce refers to Romans 8 verse 19. I want to read those few verses and then give you a bit of what he has to say about it Romans 8 verses 19 through 21 Paul is speaking here writing here for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see how the creation, all of creation, has joined with fallen man in this state of brokenness. And so we see things broken in creation. We see Tornadoes tear through towns and tear up homes. And it's as if creation itself is, is uneasy. It's uncomfortable about, about how things are. And so we read right there, Paul is saying that creation looks toward that day when all things are set right, when all things are made right, organized under the lordship of Jesus. It is eager in its expectation there. So Boyce, on these verses, he says, he gives us a basic doctrine of creation. He says, first off, this is God's world. Very simple principle. This is God's world. Secondly, the world is not what it was created to be. We see that brokenness. We see how mankind has mutilated even the creation, has misused misused creation. You see how mankind has turned creation into an object of worship rather than worshiping God, Romans 1. Mankind has turned even himself into a God to be worshiped. And that's why we end up giving ourselves to all kinds of of idolatry and immorality. So this is God's world. This world is not what it was created to be. But thirdly, The world will one day be renewed. I want to go back to these verses in Psalm 98. Listen to this. The seas roar. The rivers clap their hands. The hills sing for joy together before the Lord. And there are hints of this, right? There are hints of this. I know there's probably some hunter somewhere that's like, Well, I ain't got to go to church because I can sit out here in creation and worship God. Well, certainly you can. And you know what? That little bit of creation that they're hearing or they're watching, that's some semblance of the song that will be sung in the new creation. Some semblance of the notes that we'll hear from creation itself. So I would encourage you, you can hear a little bit of that song now. And the day is quickly approaching when that symphony will resound in full force. When Jesus Christ is revealed with power and great glory, when he comes and finalizes the redemption, when he fulfills all the promises that he has made in judgment The writer of the Psalms right here says he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. We look forward to that day. Creation itself looks forward to that day when Jesus judges perfectly. And we say Jesus on purpose because Jesus in John 5 actually says the father really doesn't judge. All judgment has been entrusted to the Son. So there's coming a day when Jesus will judge righteously and we will rejoice in his judgment because it is just and righteous. This morning I hope you're able to join in with this song of the redeemed. God deserves the worship of every voice, every instrument, every sound of his created order. Join in with that song. You may not know the Lord Jesus today. I would tell you that there is only limited ways you can participate with the people of God at this point. Once you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you can join in. You can play your part. You can hit your notes in the chorus of all creation. But also, believer... Do you see how we are singing in order to have more singers? Your song ought to be sung in every sphere of life that God has put you in. The song of his redemption, the song of his salvation. And together, we'll look forward to the day when all these parts are united in all of its beauty God will receive the praises of all of creation this morning would you repent and believe the gospel for the first time would you come to know the Lord Jesus and his saving work at the cross turn from sin believe on him know that you have nothing to offer him none of us did but we are placing everything on him. He accomplished our salvation. Church, as we conclude this year, may we sing louder, stronger. May we preach more boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we join together linking arms, loving one another, forgiving one another, pressing forward in the kingdom for God's praise among the nations. Let's do this together in all these things, in all these ways. God, be praised. Let's pray.